0: This is my Bible, it is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith comes by, hearing, by hearing. And hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. 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 Romans the first chapter uh, verse one and and if you read through Rome, uh, Paul's uh, books majority of his book starts off this way and I just found it was fitting that pastor just finished with Romans uh, with Bible study and so Verse 1 says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. You know, in life, you can be separated to some other things. But Paul said he is separated to the gospel of God. And so we thank you. Let's go in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have set apart to learn more about your word. As I decrease, you increase within me that I may bring a word that will encourage someone, that will set someone free, that will make them realize that there is a greater purpose in their life. And so we thank you for all of that. We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Today I bring the topic of how are you operating? How are you operating? So I want to take this text, uh, Romans, and and also I want to look at Saul's transformation to Paul's story. And I want to provide some evidence to how you and I have operated and are operating today. See, operating is to be used or engaged in performing. It also is to act effectively. It also, say, produce and effect, and lastly, exert force or influence. So when you are operating, you should engage in performing something. So when you are operating, or a system is operating, it should be operating at max performance, at peak performance. Your body, when you're operating in God, you should be at max performance. You know, our cell phones and our tablets and all of that has a mode. It has a safe mode, then it has a low power mode. God don't want you to be stuck in the low power mode. Mode. He is asking you to be at max performance. See, God is performance conscious. Scripture indicates that his concern, he is concerned about the quality and level of our work performance. See, it says that work hard and cheerfully at all you do just as though you were working for the Lord and not merely for your master. See, when Jesus was on earth, he performed to the best of his abilities. We can find that in Mark 7, 37. It says, Jesus has done everything well. So that makes me believe that Jesus was performing at max. See, when Jesus told the parable of the talent. He, he described two types of people. He described one as a good performance. Then he described the other one as an unproductive performer. See, see, when describing the good performance, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. But when he was talking about the unproductive worker, the master said what? You wicked and lazy servant so God is asking for you to be that good performance to be at your max to be at your peak see as Christians we should be committed to a high level in quality of performance as we read in Colossians 3 and 23 it says we are to work hard and cheerfully at all we do See, the Christian goal is to have and operate at high performance within within a positive and cheerful attitude toward tasks being performed. You know, peak performance is different for everyone. You know, I, I can't tell someone that is in their 20s or in their 60s to operate at peak performance as someone that is in their 20s. I can't ask someone that is operating in their 50s to operate as someone that is in their 30s. So we all have a level of peak performance. Whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you still have a level of performance that God is calling you to do. And So when I look at people, when I get ready to hire people on my job, one of the things I look at is what is their attitude? Each and every day, what is their attitude? Then other thing I look at, is they a good fit? You know, you can hire some people that have all the brains and all the knowledge and everything, but are they a good fit? I'm pretty sure pastor looks at that all the time, too, when he go and tapped you on the shoulder. What attitude do you have for that task? I'm pretty sure pastor don't want to deal with a lot of attitudes when he asks someone to do something. So we need task, tap ministers on the, hey, it's your time up. I, I, don't, I don't think pastor want to get an attitude from you, saying, oh, I got this going on, I got that going on. Man, I, I don't think pastor will come back to you, Brother Greer. <laughs> and are you a good fit? You know, sometimes your attitude and how you fit into a situation overweighs how you perform in things? Because I'm a believer because of your attitude and how you're a good fit. That your performance will be begin to be high. You will be able to operate at peak level. Because we can teach you some things in the work centers. And so those are the things that I look at. And Pastor, that's some of the things you look at? Shake your head, Pastor. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but either way, God is calling us. You know, how are we doing our job for God? The worldview of performance. Take it easy all the time. Oh, I don't take all of that. Oh, the work is too hard. And they also tell people, don't work hard. So many are committed to doing only what is required to get by in order to keep the boss off their back. That, that's the world's view. But that is contrary to Colossians. See, you should be at peak performance since God desires that we perform well. The Christian community should strive for high performance at all times. When you're working for the Lord, you should be trying to achieve high performance at all times. So how are you operating? How are you operating? Are you designed to work with Christ Jesus or against Christ Jesus? Because in Matthew it says uh, how he, w- he who is not with me is against me. So he wants you to be at peak performance. So how are you operating? Are you clearly and precise Saying you are a bond servant of Jesus Christ. So, do you talk to talk? Do you walk to walk? Not just with words, but in your actions. So, my objective this morning is for each of you to realize how clear and precise that Paul's journey will maximize your life to know better and to do better. To know better and to live better. It is said that every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. So, so when we look at Paul's story, Paul had a past. His name was Saul. So when did Saul come on the scene? So turn with me to Acts, the 7th chapter, verse 58. Acts, the 7th chapter, verse 58. See, see, Paul came on the scene during Stephen's death. And Stephen uh, was one of the seven believers appointed by the 12 disciples to help run the f- daily food distribution. You know, the the, the, the widows was starting to complain, and the the disciples was on fire for God, and and, and they had to have someone to take care of that for them. And so they appointed Stephen. Why did they appoint Stephen? Because Stephen was well-respected. Pastor, not just respected, but well-respected. And they said he was filled with wisdom and also the Spirit. So Stephen performed amazing miracles. See, some people just perform miracles. Stephen was one of them that was performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. He also was a great debater. He was so much a great debater that, you know, the, the synagogue of free slaves was upset with him. Whenever they tried to come and debate him, whether the Messiah had come, he put them in their place. So no one was wanting to debate Stephen. And so, you know, when someone gets jealous of you, they can lie on you. You know, they can try to set you up for failure. You know, they can try to put you in front of the boss and try to put you in check. And so that's what they did with Stephen. Stephen. They, 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 they took Stephen, and they lied on him, and now he finds himself in front of the high priest. And the high priest asked him one thing, a yes or no question. Now, now you know Stephen, he was long-winded. Stephen reached all the way back to Abraham, <laughs> way back. And brought it all the way forward. And man, by the time that he finished, the Pharisees was upset. They was outrageous. They was getting ready to stone Stephen. But Stephen was bold. That didn't stop him from bringing and saying that, hey, you killed the Messiah. And you should repent. Even though Stephen was facing danger opposition. He still brought God's word forward. He said, hey, Jesus is that Messiah that we've been waiting for. They didn't like it. So guess what they did? They drugged Stephen out and when they went to stone him, they pulled off some clothes because, you know, it's hard to throw something when you in, in jackets and whatever they was wearing at that time. And they laid it at someone's feet. And so that's where we find ourselves here in Acts, the seventh chapter, verse 58. And the word of God says this. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. See, now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death as a guilty bystander. So what is a bystander? A regular bystander is an individual who observes another in clear distress, but not the direct cause of the harm. So a bystander can be one that is there, but he's not causing the harm, but he is there. But a guilty bystander is one who has the ability to mitigate the harm but chooses not to. So Saul had the ability to mitigate the persecution of Stephen's death. But he chose not to. So this reminds me of the Good Samaritan parable. You see, a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and a robbery Happened. They robbed him, they stripped him of his clothes, and left him to die. And so you had a, 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 a priest and you had a Levite that traveled along that same journey and saw the man land there to die. Man, that, that, that sounds like a bystander there to me. Even a guilty bystander, you would think the priest would have at least pray for him. Even the Levite, you, you would think, because the Levite was priest, right? You would think they would have reached out their hand and say, God, be with him. I, I'm, I'm in a rush. I'm in a hurry. I can't tend to him, but can you see about him? They didn't lift a finger. They didn't lift a hand. But you had that Samaritan that was traveling, and he took him. And he took him to an inn, and, and he paid the, the, the keeper all what he had to see about that man. And, and that reminds me of how many guilty bystanders from the, the collapse of the surface condominium in Miami. You had some bystanders. You had some engineers. You had some inspectors that was inspecting that building, but did not do anything. Once they wrote up the report, they didn't follow through with what they should have been doing. Even you know, I just took a CPR class, and if Minister Lathan was choking on some of that food that he eat, you know, I have a responsibility. Because I have the skills to help my brother Latham. I can't let him sit there and die over that chicken that he's been eating. I have a responsibility. So some of the most guilty bystanders is the one that have all the skills to help someone. God has given you skills to help someone in your life. So when you're on your Twitter account or on your Facebook and you see that post that comes by, do you say something? Do you do something? Or do you flip and just say, okay, it's just another one of those polls"? No, God has given you the ability to type God's word for a response for that member or whoever that may be in need of. God has given us those things. And so, you know, on the way here today, We was traveling around the airport this morning, and and I just seen sirens and lights going off. And Brother uh, Davis may have saw the same thing because he travels that same direction. And and I just seen the sirens, and I just started to pray. God, you know that situation. And so when I got around the curve, I, I looked over to the right, and I seen a truck upside down. I, I didn't stop, but I did pray. The reason I didn't stop because the ambulance was there and the fire department was there, you know, so I didn't need to be there. And But at least I did pray. The priest and the Levite could have at least laid hands on the guy, I would think, but they didn't. God is asking for you to be a righteous bystander. He don't need you to be a bystander that's standing on the sideline not doing anything. You need to be a righteous bystander. So how are you operating? See, the Lord does not turn a blind eye to your situation. Father God, I thank you because you didn't turn a blind eye to my situation. When I was down and out, he didn't turn a blind eye to my situation. When I was in depression, he didn't turn a blind eye to my situation. When I didn't have food to eat, he didn't turn a blind eye to my situation. So I thank our Father for never leaving me, nor forsaking me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so may we imitate him to be an agent of his glorious light to the world and not to turn a blind eye to the things that you see that is wrong in this world. So, Father God, you are the discerner of hearts. Father God, you look beneath our outward appearance and you see your image in each in one of us. Father God, we ask that you banish in us the blindness that we may have. That prevent us from recognizing the truth so we may see the world through your eyes and not our own. And Father God, we ask that you continue to, you know, have compassion and allow us to have compassion of Jesus Christ who redeemed us. And so as Paul was well, Saul at that time, was traveling on the mission of persecution. Uh, he met the, reason, the risen Jesus through an overpowering encounter on Damascus Road. See, in Act the ninth chapter, around verse three, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shined around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ. See, see, an encounter is to come upon or meet with unexpectedly. Man, Saul's life changed dramatically. See, see, Saul transformed to Paul. With that Damascus Road encounter. That encounter changed his mission. Instead of him persecuting the church, now he was doing what? He was focusing on being a servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, see, now Paul realized that his life was not his own. So now he became a bond servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, see, that encounter that, that transformed Saul to Paul is still real today. So, so, do you remember that Damascus Road encounter, Keisha? Father God, your encounter sets some people free. Your encounter allows someone to surrender their all. Father God, your encounter reaches to the highest mountain. And it flowed to the lowest valley. Father God, your encounter allows someone to make a change for better. See, in Luke, it it talks about, in the the fifth chapter, it talks about uh, the story uh, concerning Jesus' disciples' experience and a historic encounter with a convincing experience. And Jesus took an everyday experience. And transformed it into a life-changing encounter. See, see, he took some tired, t- some discouraged fishermen. And, and, and transformed them into fishermen of men. This encounter changed them forever. This is the Lord's desire for you and I. He wants to transform us. And it begins with an important encounter. See, you don't have to be in the church to encounter our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can be on a fishing trip to encounter him. You can be in your house and encounter him. See, I can remember in 2007, my encounter that changed my life forever. I was at Luke Air Force Base, and, and, at, the time I, and at the time, I was uh, attending the chapel, and we was going through a week fast. And, and Adrian, at the time, was deployed. And I was just confiding in her, you know, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And, and, and she just encouraged me to just go home and just lay out and just talk with God. And it was that 2007. That changed my life forever. That allowed me to be here today. Because I can hear those soft spoken words like it was yesterday. I want you to preach my word. Right. Change my life forever. So when you look back for a moment in your life, do you remember that encounter? And see, why I was meditating for this message, I wanted that feeling again. I-, I-, I felt something in me when I had that encounter the first time. And I wanted that encounter the second time, the third time, the same way that I felt. But God said, you don't need that same encounter. I'm going to reveal some other things to you. I already revealed that, hey, you are to preach my word. What I'm going to reveal to you right now, I want you to say this word. How are you operating? Yeah, yeah. Are you operating in a way that will bring glory to my name? But I wanted that desire to have that feeling so much. You know, Pastor, I was waking up at 5, 5.30 in the morning and, and try, you know, trying to watch the NBA games and all of that. Man, it was, trying, it was kind of rough getting up at 5 when the game's going out for eleven. But I was like, God, give me the strength to get up. But more so is that I wanted that feeling that God is talking to me on this message. And so I find myself, hey, forcing my way out of bed. You know, when you want that encounter with our Lord and Savior, you got to force your way to some things. Force your way through some things in life to have that encounter. Man. That encounter in 2007, like it was yesterday, again, some discouraged and tired fishermen changed their life forever. So you don't have to be in the church to encounter that. An encounter with Jesus is personal. Jesus has something personal he wanted. For Saul to experience. He has something personal. For Simon. James. And John to experience. He has something personal. For you to experience. That will change. Your life forever. See Jesus work. One on one with you. One on one with you. And, and just recalling and God just dropped this into me and saying, you know, that one-on-one experience. You know, I used to take DeAndre out, and and uh, we used to play basketball and, and uh, you know, trying to get him ready and, and all of that. It was a one-on-one experience. He enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. But more so is that when I was on offense, I only... Focus on him. And vice versa. When I went on defense, it was a one-on-one experience. And I was able to just focus on him. God is telling you. He wants that one-on-one experience. And, and I can remember, Adrian used to come out in the, in the driveway and she just look at us. I don't know if she got jealous or not. But you know... Sometimes when you are in a one on one experience, some outsiders can see some things that change in your life, and they can get a little jealous yeah. Yeah. you know uh, I was trying to bring up this picture that uh Trinity uh came out in in the driveway one day and 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 I think she got she did get a little jealous I think that I was playing ball with uh deandre and 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 I was trying to get that picture to put it up there, but that picture. When I look back at it, her face where she wanted to get in that defensive stance and play DeAndre one-on-one. God is looking at you right now, Cliff, and say, I want to do one-on-one with you. Mama Jessie, one-on-one with you. And you can't worry about the outside influences of life. You got to come in contact and have that encounter with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That one-on-one experience. Wow. See, that one-on-one personal time will give you new passion in life. It will give you new revelation in life. It will give you new direction in life. And it will let you know that he will never leave you, nor forsake you. So so after the encounter that transformed Saul to Paul, blindness set in and and he could no longer see. So during Saul three days of blindness, God spoke to Ananias with instructions to how to restore Saul's spiritual and physical sight. See, Ananias understandably was worried. He had already heard about Saul. Saul was a bad guy. He was worried about the injustice of the situation. After all, Saul well was well known uh, of the early church. And so in Acts, the ninth chapter, verse 13 and 14, it, it says this. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from, from many about the man, how much harm he has done to your saints. In Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. See, here we see that Ananias fear hindrance and unable to perform at maximum. His fear prevents him from maximum performance. See, Ananias uh, objects against going to Saul, and the Lord answer his objection. See, see, in a court setting, the judge allows for an objection, objection to a certain extent. But eventually, the judge has to rule one of two ways. He has to overrule, or he has to sustain. And, Pastor, I did contribute it. To the Striving Perfection Ministries uh, Amazon, when I ordered this gavel. This gavel is used by judges to proclaim proceedings and decisions of court trials to be final, to be legal, and to be irrevocable. Irrevocable. But once the gavel is struck, it signifies that no other action can be renewed. Renew the decision being made. See Ananias plead that Saul was a notorious persecutor for the disciples of Christ. Christ overruled and said, It is legal. It is what I want it to be. So Christ overrules the objection by Ananias. And he went on to tell Ananias, don't tell me how bad he is. I already know that. He know how bad you are. I don't need no one else to come and tell me how bad Charlie has been. I already know that. I want you to go. And give him all the help you can. Because he is my chosen vessel. I have designed to put confidence in him. And then you need to not fear. Paul have not chosen me. I have chosen Paul. You know, when when God chose, have chosen you. Is nothing someone can say or do. So, 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 so Jesus is saying, hey, he is a vessel of honor and must not be neglected at this time in his present condition. Uh, neither thrown away as a despised broken vessel or a vessel in which there is no pleasure. And he went on to say he is to bear my name before the Gentiles, and to be the apostle of the Gentiles, and to carry the gospel to the heathen's nations. Mm. And then he lastly said, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, the Lord reassured Ananias. He reassured and said that he is God. He reassured that he was in charge. And he reassured that he is taking action in this situation. He didn't need no one else to take action. So Saul will no longer be the persecutor. He has been chosen to proclaim God's glory to the peoples of Israel and to the world. So Ananias goes on God's errands to Saul. And he, he, he started off with an objection against going to him. But when an answer was given to him, he dropped everything and went. So when God give you an answer, when you done put out everything about the situation and God tells you to go do you obey Ananias did so sometimes fear hinders us from max performance but God will remove that fear God will remove the troubles times in your life God will remove some headaches out of your life. So what are we to do but to go on with our work and not hang upon the objection? So how are you operating? See, Ananias went and he put his hands on Saul. And so now Saul gains his his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. So how are you operating? See, Paul is saying that, hey, that is converting grace. Converting grace is, is to open one's eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Uh, this was what Saul was sent among the Gentiles to do. But he had to experience it first. So some things in your life, you're going to have to experience it first before you're able to put it out there for someone else. So Paul had to experience the converting grace before he was able to be the disciple. So now Paul associated with disciples uh, that were at Damascus. And, and he, he, he fell right in with them. He, he conversed with them. He went to their meetings. He joined in communion with them. This is what started Paul's internship. What is an internship? Internship is a short-term work experience offered by companies and other organizations for people to get some entry-level exposure to a particular skill set. It is as much of a learning experience as it is work. And ideally, interns spend their time working on relevant projects, learning about the field. Remember, this is is all. Making connections and developing needed skills internship sometimes even lead to full-time job offers so paul's internship was important and it was necessary it was necessary and important because it gave him a chance to work side by side with accomplished disciples it allowed him to get a good idea of what his role may be in life. And also obtain work experience and also to meet and learn from subject matter experts. And it also allowed him to build on network, his own network from other disciples and seasoned followers of Christ. I can remember my first Sunday here, you know, 2010. I sat right back there where probably uh and, and and brother AJ is sitting. I think we was about right in that area. And and after service, brother Fobbs came to me and introduced his himself to me. But he didn't stop there. He introduced my he introduced me to, to Brother Gene and, and Papa Jay and, and, and Brother Shetfield. And he gave me his number, his telephone number, saying, Brother, anytime you have a question, give me a call. Internship. Internship. I was new to the situation, I was new to striving. So, Pastor, you have an internship program. Sometimes we need that. When new members come in, they need to know who they can come in contact with. They need to have someone that they can call on and figure out things. Because every church operates a little bit different. But another important benefit of an internship is the chance to figure out what you don't want to do and what you want to do. Internship give you the chance to try a few things out without committing. As internships has gotten important and, and more uh, uh, common, even Pastor started the internship. Pastor, you remember the striving deacon internship? Even pastor had that, where he, he, he saw some potential members. And, and, and he said, tribe leaders, I want you to take a look and, and see if this is something that they want to do. And so we brought those candidates in, and, and we Tag team them with some other, other deacons and leaders and had them go through what it would take to be a deacon. You know, some of them <laughs> figured out, hey, this is not what I want. <laughs> but some of them said, yes, I can handle that responsibility. But some of them said, I didn't want the title, but I can do the, the task. So, internship offers the chance, you the chance, not to just build relevant skills and learn about the field but also to demonstrate those skills and insight on the job. So in short, internship can help you as a member and also help pastor figure out what God is calling you to do with your gift and with your talent when it comes to growing the body of Christ. See, once the church opened up these doors fully, I'm pretty sure pastor going to want some internship candidates to operate. When the church opens, so Saul associated with the disciples because he now saw in it, saw in them excellence in everything that they did, and also because he loved them and he found that he improved in knowledge and grace by conversing with them. When you converse with other saints, you will improve your knowledge, you will sharpen your understanding, your wisdom about God's words. And he openly declared himself as a disciple of Christ by associating with those that were disciples. So let's go back to Romans, the first chapter. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God separated to the gospel of God see when we become christians we clothe ourselves with christ and become his bond servant see see we can't fully serve god until he owns us In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 37 and 38, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And it goes on in Luke chapter 16. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be lord to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mamma. In Romans 12 and 1 it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service." See, Jesus is our bondsman. Jesus is our bondsman. A lot of times, a bondsman put up collateral, as in money, as in a house or land or whatever, It may be. But our God put up Jesus' life that you may be set free. That you may have eternal life. Jesus is your bondsman. So you have to realize your life is not your own. Your life has been paid in full. So the things that have been holding you back, Jesus already paid the price for you. You don't need to pay it again. You don't need to give anyone else none of your money. You don't need to be looking for anything else in life. Jesus is your bondsman. And he is calling for you today to be a bond servant. Separated to be used for God. So how are you operating today? Are you operating as a bond servant? Knowing that our Lord and Savior have gave his life for a wrench undone. For the sins that you have committed, how are you operating? And how are you operating? God is saying it's not too late. It's not too late for you to be operating at max performance for our Lord and Savior. It's not, you can reach peak performance. When you realize what was given up that you may have internal life. When you realize that and you look back over your life. When you're in the clubs driving intoxicated texting and driving and God spared your life. Why can't you be that bond servant that he's calling you to be? Don't continue to throw your money at all kinds of doctrine. It's only one doctrine that you need to know. That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given his life that you may have life and life more abundantly Be that bond servant that he has called you to be. So, how will you operate? I'm telling you how I will operate. Because I remember that encounter in 2007. I remember God sparing my life while driving intoxicated. I remember texting and driving. He spared my life. So I look at it like Paul. I'll be that bond servant that is separated to spread the gospel through this nation. Hallelujah. God is saying, be that bond servant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you. I have two appeals. Thank you, Father, for pouring into me, first of all, and reveal to me how I operated in the past. And revealing to me how I'm operating now. And also revealing to me how I should be operating in the future. And if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that is not operating as a bond servant for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And want to have the benefits, the rewards, the promises that is in store for you. Please signify by raising your hand. And if you're online, please call the number that is displayed. That is the only way that you can be set free, that you can be healed that you can enjoy love, that you can enjoy all the benefits that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for. My second appeal, if you don't have a church home, a pastor would love to have you. We're a church that teaches the word, a church that will love on you, and will allow you to be that bond servant that Jesus had called you to be. If that is you, please signify by raising your hand. And if you're online, please call the number that is displayed. Hallelujah. My last appeal is if you had a prayer request If you have a prayer request, just bring it to your mind to concentrate on it and meditate on it while I pray. Father God, you know what your peoples are in need of, you know what they have went through. You know what they will be going through. Father God, be with them. Provide what they are in need of. According to your word. Father God, you are the alpha and omega. Father God, you are the beginning and the end. Father God, you are everything that we are in need of. So meet the need of your people. Meet the need of your peoples right now in the name of Jesus. The one that is in need of healing. The ones that are in need of love. The one that is in need of joy. Meet their needs right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, you are a mighty God. You are an all-knowing God. So we thank you for meeting the needs of your people. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Everyone in the congregation say amen, amen. 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 Hallelujah.